There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Um, well, I just, I want to first start this off by saying, A, how fucking sweet is it that the three of us right now are in Austin, Texas? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. We South lit- by Southwest. Yeah. We rolled in last night, um, mm-hmm. and we stayed at this, uh, interesting little, like, sort of hotel, sort of not hotel. And then, uh, and then we, we had to switch it up. We had to come to our Airbnb. We arrived to our Airbnb. Uh, we've got registered. We got our passes. For South by Southwest, it starts of, tomorrow. There's a lot of interesting activity happening here. Well, at the we arrived at the Airbnb, and it's a very interesting spot. It's very homey, you know. It's very well lived in, and uh, and you know, generally when you when you go to an Airbnb, you arrive. It feels like it's been prepped for you, like you know, a hotel like, kind of. Like, like, like it feels like when you open up the drawers, it's going to be empty, so you can put your clothes in it. Except when you open the drawers, they're not empty. It's full of other clothes and just massive, massive amounts of dildos and butt plugs. <laughs> that really happened. That literally happened. That literally happened. About I, twenty minutes before Tom <laughs> arrived here, we found a cache of. Oh, I, I went into I went into the bedroom and I put my shit down and I thought, man, I'll empty my bag and I'll put my stuff in the drawers. And so what happened was I, I opened one drawer, like two or three drawers down. I opened it and there was clothes in it. So I went, oh shit, I wonder if they're in everything. So then I opened the top drawer, which everyone knows the top drawer is the underwear drawer. I had a lapse in judgment there. Opened it up and I found a lot of play toys. And it's like, it's not like you had to go rooting. No, oh no. You just opened no, a drawer, opened drawer of dildos. And like, there they were. You opened a drawer that should exist in a, like, a if you go to the sex shop, that drawer exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it was literally, have your pick. Um, so, needless to say, we're it's off to It's going to be a fun time. <laughs> we're, we're off to an interesting start. Uh, but, uh, but what I'm even more excited about is to uh, sit down with our first guest here in Austin, uh, Tom, how are you? Great. What's your last name, Tom? Whiteside. Whiteside. All right, Tom Whiteside. Uh, and we this is this is cool. We didn't have we actually didn't plan on doing this. This was like very sort of last minute. Uh, but Jeff, our our good friend and manager and agent and he wears mentor, many hats for yeah, us. many hats. Um, uh, linked us up. Uh, and you, how do you guys know each other? How do you know Jeff? Through Movember, we both, he worked obviously for the Canadian office and I was in the LA office. Okay. And so actually before, technically before I even started, I went up to Canada for training. Uh, and that's when I met Jeff and those other guys and Bear okay. and everybody. Now, do you, 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 you've worked for Movember. We've, we were just before we start, started recording, we were talking about your work with, uh, Livestrong. Do you, is that sort of the sector that you've 
you've worked in most of your 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 adult life the the sort of uh, fundraising uh, charity mm-hmm. charity space 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 yeah yeah at this point I've been in nonprofit charity work for ten plus years. So yeah, okay. I was at Livestrong at Movember, and then moved back to Austin very recently. And I'm at the United Way. Sweet, okay, cool. And we actually got your you, you showed up, and we were and we were kind of chit chatting, and we found out that we were uh, way off on what you actually dealt with. <laughs> Hell yeah, <laughs> we, and Jeff knows you really well. Far off. Yeah, yeah, really we mis- well. We mistook your cancer for where it actually is for where it actually is for for your for in your balls. Which it's not there, or so it wasn't there. Wasn't there. So, do you have both testicles? I have both <laughs> testicles. Okay. I can confirm. Well, I'm going to have to throw out this list of questions that I prepared. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, right. As if we and, have and a fun list of side questions. story. I don't know if y'all know this. Testicular cancer, guys. If they remove one, you get a fake one. You, you well, know it's that? an option. Yeah, yeah it's it was an, an option. option. But yeah, because apparently you, one will grow in size to compensate for the space, so that you get sized for whoa, a prosthetic ball. So, uh, so your one nut will get bigger. It will apparently grow. So they, 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 I, I guess it is optional, but they tell you, we think you should get a prosthetic. Okay. So quick poll of the room right now. If you guys got testicular cancer and had an option for an artificial nut to be put in, would you get it? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah. Everybody? For sure. Yeah. I, I, so. I wouldn't do it because of the other ball getting bigger. I would do it because I would love sweet. to just have a fake ball. Yeah. You know, it's like for like whatever reason, I don't know, but it would be sweet. Yeah, it's great for stories. You know, you're yeah. sitting around the table and you're meeting the in-laws and you're like, hey, guys, I got a cool story. One of my nuts are fake. And it would be kind of like when you have a when you have a fake eye, you could like take it out and show people. <laughs> I, don't, and, uh, I don't know if it works <laughs> that way. Oh, but oops. that would be cool. <laughs> you could grab it in your hands and squeeze it really <laughs> okay, hard no. and nothing bad would no, happen. No, 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 no. <laughs> Is that so, the line? Was that, that the was line? The line. <laughs> okay. uh, Tom, what, so you did you didn't have nut cancer. What cancer, what kind of cancer did you have? I had a Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. Yeah, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, is that what Andrew Henderson had? Uh, no, he had uh, something lymphoblastic, lymphoblastic lymphoma. Oh, right, okay. T-cell lymphoblastic lymphoma. Mm. That's, That's right, was, T-cell yeah. lymphoblastic. Well, what is what is Hodgkin's lymphoma? So Hodg- they're both blood cancers. And mm-hmm. so as I understand, Hodgkin's, there's just one Hodgkin's, right? There's there's four different subular, uh, subtypes that are cellular levels. And then there are non-Hodgkin's and there's something like 32 or 33 non-Hodgkin's cancers, oh which is also funny because some guy figured out what Hodgkin's was first. So he's like, okay, we're going to call it Hodgkin's. What, did he name it after himself? He did. Yeah. And it's actually, it's, so it's a vain. cancer that has, uh, they've known about it for, uh, for longer than a lot of other cancers. I think this is the 1830s. A guy discovered Hodgkin's lymphoma. Holy wow. shit. But Wait, so since did them, they even know it? Like, the constellations were back then, 1830s. Like that sounds like the Western expanse. They're like, well, you know, uh, they were still living in caves then. (laughs) They they couldn't necessarily treat it. But so this guy Hodgkins figures it out. And then over time they keep finding other blood cancers. And so I'm sure some guy like Jones is like, well, I found this one. We'll call it Jones. And he's like, nope, just not Hodgkins. So everything else is just non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is kind of a rip, right? Which is, which is really... Like he was running so around... So Hodgkin's gets the, everything. That's he was really running around the though. earth going, no, 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 that's mine. It's not non-Hodgkin's. My yep. name has to be on it. It's he, branded. You know what's funny, though? Like, I, I've heard of Hodgkin's lymphoma a bunch of times. Yeah. But then I've also heard people say non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. But I just assume that Hodgkin's lymphoma was like a shortened way of saying non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and didn't actually, like 
break it down between the, the two. Be like, yeah. Oh, there's a difference. I just assume that everybody had the same. Yeah, thing. someone wants to save yeah. the uh, the amount of energy that it takes yeah. to say non. Yeah, so, like how like in- South by as opposed to yeah, South exactly. by Southwest. Mm-hmm. Oh, so like so blood tired. cancer. Blood cancer in my in my non educated brain automatically sounds really bad because of how blood just travels around your body. Yeah, it sound is that this might sound so fucking stupid, but to me, when I think uh, I've never thought of blood cancer before until you just said that right there, Taylor. I associate cancer with tumors, right? So. Is it just like all, like you just got tumor blood? Is this like, funny that you? It's funny that you said that because we've literally done an episode on Hodgkin's lymphoma. I know, and it, <laughs> and this ne- and but this thought never came up. And I've done work with a cancer charity where I've spoken to like upwards of fifty people with with lymphoma. But you know what? I've never thought that's about not this. a bad question though because I'm interested to know the answer. Yeah, yeah. like like is it is it like tumory blood or? Like what's the cancer? It's it's a liquid cancer, so it's not you don't get solid mass tumors. You okay. can get tumors, but they're not solid mass. So in blood cancer, you've got myeloma, leukemia, lymphoma. Those are the most common ones. Okay, and then there's multiple kinds of leukemias. There's a couple times a couple types of myelomas. Like I said, 32 or 33 kinds of non-Hodgkins. Some are really treatable. Some are really bad. There's like hairy cell, mantle cell, T cell, B cell. There's all these different kinds. Wow. And then Hodgkins is really pretty much just Hodgkins, you tend to get people either in their sort of mid-20s or mid-50s. I think it's about 1 in 150,000 get Hodgkins. So it's not... It's not the rarest thing out there, but it's not super yeah, it's common. Not super it's just common. a lot of people will have heard of it because maybe if you knew someone young with cancer, it was likely Ooh. Hodgkins or it could be testicular. Which is it typical in young, in young people? Yeah. There, there's an, the, this by... Uh, Two time frames when people can get in. It's usually like in your mid twenties. So I got it at age, which is 26. why this the the charity that I worked with was for young adult cancer survivors. So ton, they had tons and tons of people oh, coming through with interesting with blood cancer. Super- and I, I had a mass in my chest, but it was really just swollen lymph nodes. And so they can track it. It can move to other parts. So when they stage it, they look to see if it got to extra lymphatic systems. So like your kidney, your liver, your gallbladder, your bone marrow. So it can move to these places, but it doesn't metastasize in the sense of like a lung cancer. Like if lung cancer metastasizes to your pancreas, that means your pancreas now has cancer. So mine had moved. It was stage four. It had gone all over the body. But when they treat it, it also retracts in the same order. So it had got into the bone marrow, but then they can check it again later. And that's how they can check your progress is it moves in a very predictable way when it grows and it retracts in a predictable way. So when too. you said they were staging it and then it retracts, it, do you, do you, I mean, in the medical world, are they saying, Oh, you were stage four and now we're like, we're regressing back to stage three and stage two. Do they, do they give you, they don't say it that way, but that's kind of what it would be. So I forget. It's like, if it's over a certain size, it's stage two. If it's on either side of a diaphragm, it's stage three. And then if it goes to extra lymphatic system, like kidneys or bone marrow, it's oh, stage four. Do they not say it that way because it's too hopeful? It does sound Yeah, helpful. I don't know. It's, I mean, it is a very treatable disease. And this is one, <laughs> people say the same thing about testicular. They're like, oh, that's one of the good ones. And of course, anyone with cancer, you're like, fucking don't hate fucking say that. it's yeah. a good one. I think there's but, a Seinfeld episode about 
like, he's got the good one. Everyone's the good like, one. fuck you. He's not, but it, it is pretty treatable. I mean, you get, I think, north of an 80% cure rate with Hodgkin's. Oh, okay. So, cool. I mean, it is, and same with testicular cancer, is a really treatable, really curable disease. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's not 100%. So, yeah. when anyone gets it, they're not like, oh, thank God, it's just Hodgkin's. You're I still mean, scared shitless. It's, well, but. it sounds really dangerous to have cancer in your blood because I, I think of like your blood system as your, as like the super highway of your body. And like, if you get something in one part, then it's like traveling throughout the entire yeah. system. So it's, it, it seems to me that would be really fucking scary. When it's, yeah, because it's in your lymph. So when they, you do like CTs and I got PET scans, which is where they, they sort of inject you with this radioactive uh, isotope. And then they yeah. watch your body to see where it goes. Did your butthole get, uh, feel weird when they put the stuff in for the PET scan? I didn't get the butthole one. Okay. Well, no, uh, it wasn't that. Who, yeah. who said that? It, that was me. When I went in for, um, I, I had a, like a fucked up abdomen uh, issue in October, oh. and I went in for a PET scan, and they put this like, they inject you with a, a sort of dye to to so that they can see in your body like when you when you, when they put you under, and 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 take the pictures or whatever. But as soon as it went into my bloodstream. I thought I shit myself, and I thought I peed myself. Oh, that was probably iodine. I think it was CT scans. Was it your oh, CT? Oh, okay, yeah. So you it was get iodine, iodine yeah, and you feel warm, yeah, and it feel feels like you just pissed warmth. yourself. And I was like, oh, oh, and she's yeah. like, oh, you feel like you peed and pooed? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And she's like, because <laughs> you, know? you did. She's like, because yes, you did. Get out of here. <laughs> no, because uh, that's what that stuff does. It gives you this weird, like, kind of nice feeling, yeah. but also <laughs> not. Like if you were really cold... Like on a chairlift at a ski hill, and yeah. then you peed, and you were like, oh. But yeah. it re- I can confirm, it really does feel like you just pissed yourself. Absolutely. Like you're certain you yeah. just pissed yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so this, the, the shit that they put in you for the PET scan is different. PET scan, yeah. They just inject you, and you, you basically just lay there for 60 minutes, and it's like... Uh, 60 minutes? You, you lay in a little tube, and it's this slow process where over 45 minutes... The, what are they using, like body. Windows 95 for that? <laughs> they just haven't stepped up the, the it's, processing. It's, it's yeah, a it's neat really image, slow. though, because you get a three-dimensional rendering, and basically the hot, it's sort of like a black and white, image and then any anything that's white is a hot spot and that that basically means um that your body uptook that radioactive isotope so it's connected to like a sugar molecule and cancers like sugar so they basically see what's eating sugar at a faster rate Ooh. and so it's not 100 percent effective like you can have a white spot that may not be cancer but that's how they try it, to track it, it. it allows them to zero in on some locations and go hey let's look here yeah and that's it's it. part of the staging and, yeah. and i'll say so i had one before I got treatment that I hadn't actually seen the, the image of. And then they took another PET scan, I think after six rounds of chemo. And at that point, the doctor was like, hey, do you want to see, the, see them side by side? And my dad and I were like, oh, yeah, I never, I never saw the first one. If I had seen the first one before treatment, we would have just booked a cruise and bought a plot because it looked like Whoa. the goddamn 4th of July. Like really? my whole Whoa. body was just like screaming with cancer. And then the six, the, the, after six rounds, you see it in comparison and it's almost gone. Whoa. So it was fascinating to see, but I'm, I'm really glad they actually didn't show me the PET scan at the beginning. That's so crazy. How did, man, how do they figure, I mean, obviously science, but like... It's fascinating how they're, when you just said, oh, it's a sugar molecule and the cancer attracts the sugar. I think I just botched that, but you know, and how did, man, cancer eats candy. Yeah, exactly. Cancer is, yeah, is diabetic. So why, how do they do that? How do they figure that out? It's so nuts that they can figure that out and then put this stuff in your body and then go, oh, okay, now we, like even just to even reel it back further than that, how did they figure that shit out? In the eighteen, like in the eighteen hundreds, the late eighteen hundreds, like that to me, 
Well, no, they probably well, then, didn't. They knew that the cancer existed in the right, right. Like, that pro- that should probably happen. So I think maybe. what I you're asking you're right. is how did they figure out how to do that and then boot it into a Windows 95 program? Right. That's and what then, I'm like, saying. And then like picture, make the picture come up in Microsoft Paint. A hundred percent. But you know, in this, in a lot of ways, chemotherapy is like that. They basically just take compounds. A lot of them are natural, like they come from plants, they come from fruits, and they just throw it at cancers, and they just try it in routine ways and see what works. So Hodgkin's is one that, for whatever reason, they found drugs that treat that cancer, and say like a pancreas cancer. Mm -hmm. They just haven't found drugs. It's not like one is somehow easier to crack. They just Mm. haven't figured out the compounds Right, which is why it's like, why I I've heard people say um, it, to find a cure for cancer is not it's not the language we should be using because right. they're 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 just the it, same way that with CF it's like the whatchamacallit right like there's that drug is not a cure Kaleidico. for CF. Kaleidico is a cure for a, a type of CF. Yeah, a genetic or mutation a, of a, CF. A, yeah. A, a quasi cure. Yeah, exactly. But like like <laughs> you know, I feel like if they found a cure for a cancer let's just hypothetical world where, where they go, Oh my God, we found a cure for, um, for Hodgkin's lymphoma. That cure wouldn't do the same thing for like, Oh my God, we found a cure for brain cancer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's It's, hundreds of diseases, right? There's no magic bullet. That's going to kill everything. We just lump it under the same umbrella. Tom, Mm -hmm. like what was your, um, what was your experience or when did you get this? Was there a symptom that first made you go to the hospital? Yes, yeah, so I, w- I had just moved to New York. This is the fall of 2006. And How old were you at the time? I was 26 years old. And so I moved up there with my then fiance, and inside of two months, she dumped me. Uh, and during this, this period, I was having night sweats. So I would just wake up sweaty. And she dumped you because of the night sweats? I think it was because of the she night sweats. She was like, sweats. God damn it, I can't yeah. fucking so wake wet. up without being soaked. <laughs> so wet. This is never going to work. Call the marriage off. <laughs> So I was having these, and like we've all woken up sweaty before, but this was—I mean, I drenched like into the mattress, yeah. like like someone had dumped water. So we break up. I'm staying on a friend's couch in Brooklyn, um, and I'm having these every two or three nights. But I'll wake up, change clothes, go back to bed, and wake up and feel fine. So I don't think that much of it. I'm Which 26. Is a, it's a sign of um, your body, body trying to fight something, something off, right? It, it, the problem is, as I understand, it can be a symptom of something as little as stress, and it could be cancer or AIDS. And so oh, when wow. you tell a doctor okay. night sweats. They're probably going to want to check further, but it's not like, oh, I know what this is. Right. You, you can get it for all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. Sure. I get that like all the time when I have a flu that breaks and then like I just in the middle of the night, I might go to bed feeling super shitty. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom. insane night sweat, wake up soaked, feel perfectly fine. And that's it. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so anyone listening, if you have a night sweat, it doesn't mean you have cancer. It yeah, just, you might. It could be might. any number of things. Yeah, you, you might. You're good. Good yeah. disclaimer so, because <laughs> people are all going, oh, right, right, oh my God, God, I had a night sweat. Yeah, it doesn't mean you have cancer necessarily. But so I, I went home for Thanksgiving, um, and then I was, I was getting these fevers every night that would top out at like 102, 103, pretty high fevers. Mm-hmm. And my mom was worried, you know, borderline like going to the hospital for this. So As on, moms do. As moms do. And, this, and my mom figured in heavily because... You all probably heard this too. A lot of young adults, they have delayed diagnoses because either they don't seek help or they go to a doctor and the doctor's like, you're fine, you're stressed, you're hungover. Yeah. Like They don't take you seriously enough. So my mom on Thanksgiving day of 2006 said, that's it, you're going to the doctor. So my dad and I went to an urgent care facility, which is you know like a doc in the box, like ER smaller. Okay. And um, this doc checked me out. He listened to me breathe. He, he looked at the blood oxygen, uh, oxygen in my blood. And I think just on a hunch, because nothing else was showing up, he, he was like, let's do a chest x-ray. And I, I can honestly say that was 
I'm glad he did that because otherwise I probably would have laughed and not known what happened. Is that like a let's do a chest x-ray because we're going to charge you another 200 bucks for it? <laughs> no, I honestly think, I mean, and again... God, that's Had such a cynical done. way to look at that, Brian. <laughs> no, but it, no the it's true, I say because, because a lot of medicine you can get, they're like, let's and just also, run that's this. that's not really something we deal with in Canada. Right, and that's yeah. why I'm curious, oh, because yeah. we've like almost, yeah. we've rarely spoken to someone who is from the States where, you know, they're yeah. uh, going through private health care, right? Yeah. And in, the, in Canada, you know, that might be a common practice to send somebody for an extra appointment just to check, but we're not paying in most yeah. cases directly for that. No, that's yeah. a, a fair question. I, I do honestly believe, and I've never spoken with them since, but I honestly thought this kid is otherwise healthy and the symptoms sound weird and let's just dig a little deeper. Right. And so after kind of a long pause, he brought us in and there was a, there was a line, there was a mass that looked like it was in my right lung. And he goes, well, I think this is a pneumonia. Um, we're going to make sure it's not tuberculosis. So we'll give you a little TB test. I'm going to put you on some antibiotics, come back in three days. And let's make sure it's not TB. And then you'll go on your merry way. So I came back in three days, and, and mind you, so I come back on Sunday. I was supposed to fly back to New York Monday, and I'd signed a two-year lease on an apartment that started that Friday. So I'm ready oh. to go back, and I'm like, oh, pneumonia, that's super serious. That explains everything. Because for a 26-year-old, yeah. pneumonia would be a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, and right off the bat, when we came back, he goes, I think you should get a CT scan, which is not what I was expecting to hear. And you know, he explained, well, we want to get a look at this thing. It could be viral. It could be bacterial. It could be fungal. We should get a look at it in three dimensions. It could be a germ cell growth, which actually would have been a testicular, or it could be a lymphoma. And that's the first time he mentioned lymphoma. So When that word dropped, did your heart drop? It did a little. It, but I, I just didn't. I, I think it was really optimistic, and I wanted to believe it wasn't anything big. But it certainly yeah. stuck in my head because that was the first time I heard that word. So I canceled the flight. He lined up a CT on Wednesday, got the, uh, the, the CT. And that same doc, which I appreciate, he actually called me that day. It was like lunchtime. I was having lunch with two friends. And he, he basically said that, so the radiologist reads the, the, the scan and they make a report. They say, here's what I think it is, the etiology. And he goes, well, the radiologist thinks it's a lymphoma, but now you need to see probably a pulmonologist to get a sample of that tissue. A what monologist? <laughs> pulmonologist, of lungs. Like a pulmonary. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, a pulmonologist, pulmonary. right? A yeah. Pulmonologist, yeah, like a pulmonary, like a, someone, lung, like a lung person, someone who knows the lung pulmonaries. Guy. Yeah. So at this point, we're, we're this is in Austin. We, we had come to Austin for Thanksgiving. We go back to my hometown of Lubbock, and this is part of the story involves who you know can help things move along quickly. Mm -hmm, yeah. So we grew up next to a pulmonologist. So that Friday, no I go shit. see him. He looks at the CT and the X-ray, and he goes, I actually think this is in your, it's not in your lung. It's a mass outside your lung. So you need to see basically a surgeon. My dad golfs with the chief, pedio, uh, chief pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon at the, <laughs> at the heart, the baby heart doctor. The fuck? He golfs with this guy. So on a Friday afternoon, we'd seen the pulmonologist. He calls his buddy, Dr. Harrell, and Dr. Harrell's like, come on in. This is like Friday at 3 p.m. He's like, and come most on people, in. I haven't seen a heart larger than my pinky yeah. finger, but... Let's try it. So, yeah, it will be way easier. And again, easier. you know, maybe this, maybe in Canada, it's not hard to get doctor's appointments. But like this guy is not like you wouldn't normally see him the day. Yeah. Of you know, call. the thing in Canada is that the waits, it's free. Well, if you want, it's it's not free if you want expedited care. It's free if you don't mind waiting, unless they think it's really serious. That's then right. They, then they huh. speed things along. Okay. Yeah. If so, it's if it's dire, you're you're gonna get. Yeah, you're probably going to get looked at now. That we're talking physical health. Yeah, if it's mm. mental health and it's dire, that's a different. You'll story. see someone in six months, and yeah. hopefully, you don't kill yourself oh, wow. before then. So if I it's went a, into it's a fucking issue. If right I went now. into a hospital and was like, "Hey, I'm 
let's just say I just go in there, I start tossing the word cancer around and they don't, they test me out and they don't think that there's any reason for me to think that there's cancer, but they might go, okay, well, if you really want, we'll, we'll do a, a, a CT scan. They'd go, your appointments in th- like th- five, four to six months because wow. they don't see the need for it, but I still want it. So they'll, they'll, uh, indulge me, but they're like, you're going to wait. Down we're not, the line. Yeah, we're not mm. get in line because we don't see the need. But if for there's it. anything that tells them there's something off, they're going to go right now. Come back. Yeah. Come back. Yeah. Right now. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Like, I mean, think about Brandon and his issue. A friend of ours who had osteosarcoma in his, in his leg and he went in and it was clear that there's something something wasn't right. And next thing he knows, he's having his leg amputated, yeah. you know, within mm-hmm. no time at all. Yeah. So or on the like, other side of things, you could say, hey, I'm just concerned for whatever reason. And I'd like a, I'd like a, a CT scan. So I'll, I can pay whatever, a couple thousand dollars and go get a and go get a CT scan, you know, this week. Hmm. So it depends. Mm-hmm. We have both sides of it. So um, so you see this guy, the, the really yeah, long, yeah, so heart he, doctor name. We, we see him that afternoon and he looks at the scans and he goes, you know, I'm not. A cancer doc, but based on what I know, I, I do think this is probably a lymphoma at this point. Uh, we need to get a tissue sample. He said, I can do it as soon as tomorrow morning, Saturday morning. He was willing to do this. He wow. said, Monday is going to be easier. There's more nursing staff, all that stuff. Um, and at this point, I think I'd wrap my head around the likelihood that it was cancer. And so they were going to do what's called a mediastinoscopy, where you go behind the sternum and cut some, there's just a bunch of like, uh, it's very vascular, but there's a lot of uh, lymph nodes there. And I had one little uh, swollen lymph node on my neck. And my dad was like, well, can we test that one first? And he said, yeah, sure. So the plan was basically they're going to wheel me in, take this lymph node out, uh, run it through um, pathology. If we didn't get a read, they'd go in behind the sternum and get more tissue. All I knew is I'm going under, and I will either wake up and not have cancer, or I'll wake up, they will have already put in the port, which is where you administer chemo, because right. you don't want to do two different surgeries. So it's, it's an all or nothing. I just know when I wake up, either it's great news, you or I have cancer, up? and with the port already installed. Whoa. Really? So they're like, we don't, we, don't, we're, we don't even need to take the time to wake him up and tell him, we just do it. Yep. Which I actually appreciate, because it is a surgery. You have to go yeah. in and you yeah, sew it into the serious. tissue. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's way better for chemo. Like, you don't administer chemo just, like, through the veins. It's too caustic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so... Basically, he wheeled me in. They, they did get a read on the lymph node, which is nice just because you can get bleeding and stuff from the, the thing behind the sternum. And uh, they woke me up that night. And the, the doctor, the surgeon himself, he came over to deliver the news. And, uh, it, you know, he was just workmanlike about it. I mean, he showed compassion, but, you know, it, he wasn't beating around the bush. And he just said, yeah, yeah it's we got a read and it's uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And what's that for you? Like, like, how that? does it feel? Like, how yeah, does that, like, yeah, how yeah. does that land on you? Well, who have you all had surgeries before? I have, yeah, I have, yeah. For starters, when you come out of anesthesia, I, I imagine that's what childbirth is like. Everything sucks. Like, it's bright and you're thirsty and your throat hurts and your head mm-hmm. hurts because you haven't eaten all day. So, like, right off the bat, you're unhappy, right? Mm-hmm. And then 20 seconds later, you're being told you have cancer. Did you realize, did you wake up and realize that you had a port no. before you were told? I think I was just so out of it because you don't know where you are. You right. don't remember what mm-hmm. happened, It's right? so disorienting. It is. It is one of the most disorienting things I think anyone can experience. It's like you yeah like it's you're so confused yeah and you have no idea how much time has elapsed and 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 then of course you're in this like very foreign place you woke up in a spot that you didn't even go to sleep lighting yeah you don't know what time of day it is what day it is (laughs) 
So yeah, my parents had been waiting and, and they took me home and we got pizza because I was starving because you can't eat before the surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember crying. And then yeah. I went to bed that night. And because they'd sewn the, uh, the port in, I couldn't sleep. I normally sleep on my side. So it's like I couldn't sleep on my left side because mm-hmm. it would hurt. So that was for like a month. But yeah, it was just, um, like I said, I think I'd, I had, I was prepared to accept that possibility, but you, you know, you're still holding out hope that maybe just maybe it's not. I'm interested to know what it's like, because obviously your parents know, you know, but then what's it like telling your friends and how do you decide who you're going to tell and when you're going to tell them? Yeah. And you know, because this was 2006, maybe people experience this a little bit differently now with the, with social media and technology and like, maybe you would just send email, not to say emails didn't exist, but I took it, I think I started calling like my closest friends first. And a lot of them would have already known like over the course of that week, I would have said like, hey, you know, I'm not in New York. This thing's going on. I really hope it's not cancer, but it could be. But I, I don't know. I don't know if I have a, a strong memory of like it's, of telling people. It's funny because we have, I don't think we really have ever asked that question or it's come up. I mean, it's come up times. a couple times, you know, with past guests where it's, it's like need to know basis or they, they just let it naturally sort of come out. Um, but yeah, it's, I feel like personally, if, if it happened to me, it would be, I just assume, I just rely on everyone else to kind of spread the word, you know, like there, there would be the key people I would tell that, that are so close to my life that it would feel weird not to tell. It's like, as Mm -hmm. if I wouldn't tell my wife, you know, you two, Becca, Bride, and my parents, but then everyone else, I just feel like it would They'll find out. Well, They'll we like, you know. were in the hospital in the fall. Like a lot of people just said, "Hey, what's going on with Jeremy?" Yeah, and I just go. Well, you know, he yeah. had surgery. He's sick. or Brandon coming back to our friend Brandon. He didn't. He, he our podcast was like he was like not many people know what happened. So when this goes out, I think a lot of people are going to be like, "What? You lost your leg and you were in a hospital wow. for nine months? Like what the fuck?" You know. Yeah. So I, there's, there's, I think there's a plethora of different ways about it, but, but like that's the last thing on your mind. Yeah, you're yeah, not you're thinking. Not, yeah. How do I get this news to the world? You're yeah. thinking, am I going to die? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know what you were thinking, but did you think, you know, when you're eating that pizza and you're fucking crying, are you thinking, are you thinking I'm going to die, or are you thinking this is going to be a really challenging uphill battle, or are you thinking that maybe there's hope? Like, what's the is it an, is it a is it a pessimistic sort of state even though you're upset even though you're crying is there hope in in that those early early moments i honestly don't remember that may sound weird to people listening you think you would have this really vivid memory of it i just remember i mean i was so tired and worn out and then you just get this this chunk of news and i just remember crying and wanting to go to sleep and i will say i mean throughout the whole process i I think i was a a very optimistic person and i had my down moments too but you know very quickly on once i met my medical oncologist and he was really optimistic and they were talking about the stats and the stats were really good and that you know say we're going to give you great care this is a really treatable disease so i was surrounded by great doctors great care i had the luxury of you know, I moved back home with my parents, so I didn't need to worry about rent or utilities. I didn't have to work. I had my, you know, a place to sleep and all yeah. that. So I had good care and I think I was optimistic, but even with good odds, you know, if it's not a hundred percent, you're like, well, obviously not everyone lives through this. Yeah. So th- yeah. there is that, that creeping, you know, fear, but 
I think I was pretty optimistic. I always think about, I am a, I am a forever optimist and I like anything that ever comes up. I'm, Oh yeah, that, that that's, that's fine. We'll get through that or we can figure that out everything. And then I wonder in an extreme case like that, I mean, extreme being knowing that you have cancer, cancer. would I, would I go to that space or would I stay in that space or would it alter the way that I, that I kind of go through my day to day? And it's, I mean, you, you just, you just said it right there, Tom, there you, you, you your had your days, you yeah. have your down moments, you know, it's yeah. like to be, to be forever optimistic, I think is a little bit crazy. Um, and to be, completely pessimistic is all you're not doing yourself any any mm. you know you're doing yourself a huge disservice till your it, optimism can be really fucking annoying sometimes though because uh, <laughs> on the plane yesterday we were getting off and and they had checked our bags at the gate and i was like dude what if they lost our bags and you're like yeah uh they just won't they don't do that like i, I like that. they just yeah they, I, I never lose my bags he does say it no, like that doesn't he, he brian you know what, and he like he, he like puts his nose up and he's like whatever you know my actual response to that was you said, what, how, what do you think the odds are that they lost our bags? And I go, I don't even let myself think about that. Like that isn't that annoying? Like, just have a conversation a with bit. your friend. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. No, Wait, I, just, I don't even want to have my mind go there. I don't want to lose my bags. doesn't exist in my world. <laughs> yeah. okay, Tom. To, to your point about <laughs> optimism, and I've talked to a lot of other young adult cancer patients and survivors, you're kind of expected to be upbeat and optimistic, right? And everyone gives you the like, you're, you're looking great. You're you doing it. great. Yeah. It's the, you know, this fight, like you're getting beat up, but they're like, you got this, get yeah. back in there. Yeah. And, and I know for me and a lot of people I've talked to, you get tired of putting on the happy face for people. Like yeah. Yeah. I'm hanging in there. Don't worry about me. It gets really tiring. Sometimes you want to just go like, this fucking sucks. I'm at home with my parents and I'm 26 and I have fucking cancer. Yeah. Right. You don't want to all, it's, it's hard to put yeah. on that face all the time. Even if you are mostly optimistic, there's just moments where you're like, I'm not feeling great. Like yeah. I feel like shit. This sucks. Why me? This isn't fair. Yeah. You and know, you totally deserve that. You deserve the right to be able to to say that, and also to have people not feel like to go, oh, well, this this sucks now. Yep. <laughs> you know, like I, I I teach. We all teach yoga, but I, I I go into class often. I go, hey, how's everybody doing? And you get, you know, the, there's 20 people, and five or six of them go, oh yeah, I'm good. And I go, hey, how's everybody else doing? And then everyone kind of has a little chuckle. And then I go, and it's all right. If you feel, sh- if you, oh, if you feel like shit, that's cool too. Like, don't, don't mask it. Well, like, be how you are. Yeah. That's the thing that you know. With the work that I was doing with athletes for cancer, now known as Project Koru, um, with the young adult cancer survivors, like that was the thing that we you'd hear time and time and time again is people feeling like they didn't have the, they didn't have the permission or they didn't have the right to just say how they fucking felt, you know, like people, because everyone who's coming up to talk to you about what's going on, they're almost feeding you how, how you should respond as opposed to you saying, Today fucking sucks. Today yeah. fucking sucks. And it's, they kind of they don't want to hear it. No one. Hey, how you doing? I'm shitty. Yeah. Bad. And they're yeah. like, oh, oh, what? Oh no. I uh, have oh, to go right. Time to go. Now. Yeah. <laughs> like, what time what, is it? One of my favorite memories is a buddy of mine, Sam, who's just a really blunt guy, and I've known most of my life. This is later on. Uh, you know, for the first month or two of chemo, I was I was hanging in there. Like the hair fell out, but you know, still had like color, and I could go to coffee shops and all that stuff. But it's cumulative, and so after about three or four months, it really started to wear me down, and just you know, like low red and white blood cell counts, tired, all that stuff. And my buddy Sam comes over one day, and he just I'm like laying on the couch like a slug, and he walks in, and he goes, "You look like shit." 
<laughs> and it was one of my favorite moments throughout all because I'm like, no one will tell you you look like shit. <laughs> yeah, Thank yeah. you for just like telling Say it like that. it is. And he yeah. goes, let's go get an iced tea and just drive around. And all we did, we just drove around in yeah. his truck for an hour. And yeah. it was it was such a great afternoon because someone just said, hey, you look like shit. And that's the thing that, that I've, since we started this this entire project and and one of the reasons why we started this project is because people get so fucking awkward and like wound up and tight and, and, and like weird about talking about illness to someone who is sick. It just doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Like just be real, just be lay it out, you know? And that's what most people who are going through something challenging or going through something, uh, you know, dire with their health. That's, that's, but most of us just crave, dude, and not just illness either. People, a lot of people just don't want to talk about reality. Yeah, like, I mean, it, you know, you can point to things like social media that perpetuate this, like this, this idea that everything's perfect all the time, or whatever you want to point to to, to suggest that. But people just don't, like you said, you know, you you say, "Hey, I'm having a shitty day," and oh, that's not really what I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. So, and this isn't the conversation I wanted to have. It's like, well, that's the reality of the situation. So why can't you we, asked? Why, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You asked. Why yeah. can't we develop? Why can't we develop the skill set to have that conversation when it happens mm. yeah. and when it comes up? And I mean, we're doing. We're trying to do that. I hope it's working. Wait, it, I, I'm I think a firm, it is. I, the numbers are confirm it's not. <laughs> I, I'm a firm believer because uh, there was people that never reached out. You know, and I yeah. get the whole like I just didn't know what to say. Yeah, yeah. I come away saying. Anything is the right thing to say. Even yeah. if you put your foot in your mouth, it's still better to try than to just be like, gosh, I didn't know what to say to you, so I just never came around for Ooh, six months. That's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never thought of that, but that's a really good point. Um, the other, I, I, you know, this whole conversation was making me think about uh, the way that I feel about people who have a really positive attitude through the recovery. Um, we were talking to a guest the other night, and she was in a really bad car accident, and and uh, she had this really positive attitude seemingly through the entire recovery process. And I, and I found myself saying, oh, that's really admirable. Your, your attitude, your outlook, that's really admirable. And I meant that. And it is admirable. But also, it's not the only way that it has to be. Like if you have a, a shitty attitude and you feel awful through the entire thing, that's okay too. But I still admire when somebody is able to stay positive in a really shitty situation. I think that I think that sometimes we perceive that somebody has a really strong attitude and that might be what they're projecting outwardly, but in fact on the inside they might actually feel really shitty about that. Mm-hmm. And I think that people shouldn't strive to like always project this positive attitude just because they know people appreciate it. Yeah, don't wear a mask um, just because you think that's what people Because need. I think you end up shouldering a lot of that weight and then feeling super shitty because of it anyway. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I think that people want you to not feel shitty more than they want to admire the way that mm-hmm. you and, carry and yourself. segue to the Livestrong thing, Livestrong along with a lot of organizations gave it like this fighter's mentality, you can overcome it. You know, Lance had cancer and he won the Tour de France. And that is a good thing because it's empowering, but it, it can lead to that where everyone's like, well, I'm supposed to be a fighter now and I'm supposed mm-hmm. to have a, you know, I'm supposed to be happy all the time and yeah. optimistic. And it's like, maybe I'm not, maybe I don't want to fight. Maybe I don't yeah. feel like fighting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, what is, what, I'm curious to know your thoughts on that sort of language. You know, uh, earlier you, I asked you something and I was just watching and listening to the way you responded, but you said, yeah, a lot of young people who are, who have 
battled cancer and our cancer. Like you almost struggled to say the word survivor. And I wasn't sure if you were searching for the word or if you paused because you don't like that word. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are around that language of like, I battled it. I beat it. Cancer survivors. Like, cause I know some people have a hard time with it and some people could be indifferent and some people fucking love it. You know, mm. I wish a survivor is a tough word because I, you know, I, I'm now quote unquote cured. Medically speaking, I made it more than five years. So I'm cured. There's a lot of people, maybe you're in remission and maybe you'll be in remission for a long time, but it's never going to go away. Mm. And I could see why they wouldn't like the word survivor. Mm. And, and even at the, the purest point, it's like, so I didn't die. Like, does that make me a survivor? Like mm. everybody's a survivor in that regard. I don't personally have an issue with it, but it is kind of a loaded word. And I, I guess I try to be sensitive to people about how they like to talk about yeah. it because some people don't like the word survivor. Yeah. Some people have a very visceral reaction where they're like, hey, you don't know, or, you know, I'm in remission. Like, this thing's going to come back. Don't say I'm a survivor. Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this word from our sponsors. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts coming back to your your treatment um you so you have you have a blood cancer is is chemo the way they go about it generally for like a hodgkin's lymphoma yeah so pretty much anywhere in the u.s if you get diagnosed and it's changed a little bit but at the time in 06 almost everybody in the u.s got abvd which are just four chemo drugs um some people, my doctor recommended uh, for stage three and higher, so anyone stage three or four, there was a study out of Germany uh, where everybody in Germany got a regimen called BIACOP. Same thing as just the acronym. It's just the, each of the seven drugs they got. So everyone in the U.S. gets ABVD. Everyone in Germany got BIACOP. And the numbers out of Germany were showing that for stage three and four, the 10-year disease-free rate, which also, you know, you didn't die in 10 years, was about 12% higher with BIACOP than it was for ABVD. Mm-hmm. So he said, it's going to beat you up a lot more. <clears throat> You're almost certainly going to lose your fertility. You're going to become sterile. But we want to get this thing the first time around. If you relapse, there are other treatment options. But like a lot of cancers, you want to get it the first time around. Yeah. So I appreciated that my doctor was open to, you know, it, it's not like outside stats, but I think most doctors doctors would have just said, yeah, ABVD, that's what we do. That's what you're going to do. Yeah. So he said, I'm strongly recommending you take Biacop. And in fact, I got escalated dose Biacop. So not only was it more drugs, but it was a higher volume of the drugs. Because well, he said, you're otherwise young and healthy, and we can hit this really hard. Like someone age 70, you couldn't give Biacop right. at all. It'd yeah. just be too rough. So they hit it hard. Too rough in what way? Like I, I mean, it's I know the it's just po- I know it's just you. poison. You know, they're just they're they're really poisoning you to poison the cancer. Yeah, is it is it just that? Like it's too. Yeah, it's just it's too harsh. hard on the system because twenty yeah, right. six year old you know stem cells and all that stuff you're regenerating so much quicker than say a seventy year old. I right. think actually the number I think people over sixty five don't get be a cop like you you cannot give them because they just they won't recover it just beats you up so much i guess you won't bounce back isn't from that like, the craziest thing it is the per the it is just uh, uh poison they're dumping in someone once described it as 
killing a cockroach on a window with a shotgun. Yeah. Like you're probably going to get the cockroach, but you're going to do a lot of collateral Everything else, damage. Yeah. I mean, uh, like when we, the yeah. first time this ever really sunk in was the second episode that we did on the show. Our friend Matthew Amiot was talking about when, when he started his treatment, they were like, yeah, and just like make sure you know you don't get your bodily fluid on anyone because like <laughs> you could fuck them up and and like basically saying like don't come on anyone and don't let anyone drink your cum and we were like <laughs> what like your cum's poison like, that, that, like that's how that's how harsh these drugs are is like you become you become this like toxic wasteland that you are just walking around like a radioactive. You know, it reminds me of Fallout. Uh, yeah. yeah, fantastic video game. If you're not familiar with it, but um, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy that that that's the that's the way we t- are dealing with it right now. Is like, wow, just like crazy, but kind of makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes it's, sense. Yeah, they they tried it, and you know, they're constantly refining the formula. But it's like we're going to put in. Enough of the poison to kill the cancer, but hopefully not enough poison to kill you. Yeah. Two, yeah. two of the drugs I had, one is called adriamycin, and it is really bad on your heart. So there's a lifetime max that you can receive, and it can give you, I mean, you, it, can, it just eats heart tissue. And the other one was bleomycin. That's the one that Lance Armstrong, so he got this other formula called BIP that was kind of experimental at the time because he didn't want to get bleo because it can cause pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, uh, he was getting a bunch of formulas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we, so I, well, we now know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I had this drug, and it's, it, it eats your lung tissue. So Crazy. they're giving you this stuff, and it's really effective against the disease. But there's some really nasty side effects. It's actually wild yeah. to think about, just not to talk too much about Lance, but that, that like you said, we can hit this hard, thing hard, and you might become infertile. But it's like, our recommendation is, do you want to live, or do you want a chance of, may, of maybe living and then maybe having kids later? It's like, well, let's just stick with living right yeah. now. Yeah, if I'm not alive in five years, who gives a shit about yeah. this? Yeah. Point? Whereas yeah. with him, he's like, well, let's do this experimental thing because I really want to race bikes after I'm done with That's this exactly cancer. right. He was willing to maybe get uh, a treatment that didn't cure him because if he was treated successfully, he wanted to go back to biking. So, oh, that's so intense. Uh, that's yeah. I'm interested to know because that's you look fun. like a, a pretty fit guy. Um are you like what what type of athletics are you involved in and and has that impacted you for sure so it's not like i used to be like a fat couch potato but i I didn't run i didn't really do any exercise and then after cancer um i actually started doing yoga the the local ywca offered a free yoga class for cancer patients survivors and their caregivers so i actually this is a fun story uh, I convinced my dad, who is like your prototype, like middle-aged white Republican lawyer, <laughs> I said, Dad, you should come do yoga with me. Uh, it'll be good for your golf game, which is not untrue because not it's like sure strength, Ooh. flexibility, Ooh. you know, like mental focus, all those things. I think mostly he probably went just because his kid had, had cancer. <laughs> yeah. He still goes three yeah. times a week, yeah. 10 no years way, later. Really? Oh, what's that bug bites yoga. Dude, what's that bug bites oh, yeah. And like, I, there are so many dudes that come to my yoga studio that are like, I come here because my game has gone through the roof because of how I twist and how I think and how I concentrate sure. when I'm hitting the ball. Oh man, I'm I'm a I'm an avid golfer as well, and it's it's fantastic for golf. So. It, also, right after when I moved back to Austin, I was like, well, I want to get involved with you know helping people, volunteering, giving time back. So I went to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society because they do blood cancers, and I started volunteering at the office. And they said, hey, you should do team and training, which is where you fundraise to do an, an endurance athletic event. So they do marathons, triathlons, and century rides. 
And I'd never done anything like that. So they convinced me to do a triathlon, an Olympic distance triathlon. So I trained for and did it about a year after finishing treatment. And I raised like 10 grand because it was really easy. Everyone's just like, take my money. (laughs) Um, And so that was my first, like, honestly, like the first time to ever run more than a mile since like elementary school. Really the first time to ride a bike, like a road bike. Mm. And even swimming, I could stay afloat, but I actually learned how to properly swim. What is the Olympic distance? I don't, I don't know. The swim is... 750 meter swim. Um... Is it 750? I believe so. Yeah, that sounds right. 750. uh, 40K bike. And 10K 10K run. run. Yeah. Okay. And then I got really into tries for a while and I did, I did a half Ironman and then I had a bad bike crash. I had two bike crashes and I thought, well, maybe, maybe biking's not for me. (laughs) And then I got really into running for a long time and I did some marathons and now I do some yoga, some like easy runs, nothing Mm -hmm. like I do a little bit of a lot of things instead of a lot of, you know what I mean? Like I don't go run 40 miles a week. I'll do like a couple of hit workouts, a couple short runs and like a couple of yoga. So yeah. did, did that treatment that you got, uh, on your heart, did that, that, did that cause any, um, problems with running or, or pushing yourself to that limit? I don't think so. So they did a, I got an allergic reaction to the bleomycin. I got pneumonitis, which just means inflammation in the lungs. And they did a pulmonary function test, but they only had the after. So there was no way they couldn't compare it. Right. So technically speaking, I probably lost a little bit of lung function, mm-hmm. but we're like maybe in the single, you know, like maybe 3% lung function. But by, <laughs> by training and pushing yeah. exactly. more, it's in a sense, anyway. <laughs> I actually joke about this a lot. In, cancer made me healthier than I ever would have otherwise been because yeah. I'm, I'm way more into what I eat and physical activity. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm really hyper aware of my body now Health in a conscious. way that most people my age or you know younger aren't, and so it it got me active and it got me to eat better and all these things. Oh, it's so funny when we we talk about this stuff all the time. How sometimes it takes this like wild event or Ooh. treat or or disease or accident loss of somebody to make you realize the way that you should quote unquote be living. You know, and it's it's just wild that you. It takes a, it takes something like that often to have that perspective shift and to start living in a different way. I think that's just fascinating on a human psychological level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at what point through throughout this did you did you how long was your treatment? Your like chemo treatment? I did. I had chemo. They were going to try to do eight rounds. After six, they pulled the bleo because I was allergic. Allergic, and then after seven. I actually remember because I went in, it was my birthday that year. So this is, I started December 20th. This is May 15th. So it had been about six months. Mm -hmm. I went in on May 15th and I was just, I was really beat up. I was like gaunt and no hair. I mean, the eyebrows gone, Mm. just so tired, you know, low red blood cell, low white blood cell. All I did those days was just go to the hospital every day for either chemo or Procrit and, um, Nelasta, which are drugs that help increase red and, and white blood cell count. Procrit, side story, Procrit is EPO. And that's the drug all the oh, cyclists no dope with. So that is, oh, that's no for shakes. dialysis and cancer patients. It's like a billion-dollar drug because wow. it's super effective in making your body create more red blood mm-hmm. cells. So anyway, I'm just beat, beat up. And I, I, someone had given me or I bought a shirt that said, cancer is my bitch. And I had like a sweatshirt on over <laughs> and I go in because I was pretty sure my doctor was going to say, all right, we're going we're gonna to stop with the chemo. And the physician's assistant checked me out, and she's like, okay, I'll send in the doc. He came in. He was a really cool guy, Dr. Jose Cruz. He's from Mexico. He wore these, like, awesome suits. That's it looked like he was going to, like, a cocktail such a function. a badass name. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Jose Cruz. And he comes in, he checks me out, and he goes, 
He goes, Tom, we're going to, I don't want to put you in the hospital. We're going to end the chemo. And I go, so should I be wearing this? And I take the sweatshirt off and he's like, that's amazing. And I was like, and you're not going to believe it. It's my birthday. And he goes, it's my birthday too. No. So my oncologist and I shared the same birthday. And so I finished chemo on my birthday and then I had two weeks and then they did 24 days of radiation. But the radiation was honestly like a breeze compared Nothing to the chemo. Because compa- yeah. you get sort of yeah. like a sunburn and you get like uh, like acid reflux basically because it's it's hurting your esophagus. Ooh, but like my hair started growing back. I started going to yoga. Like it felt amazing relative to the chemo. Why do they do radiation? I, I was under the impression that radiation was done on tumors to shrink to shrink tumors. So why the radiation in your case? So, and, and honestly, at this point, I've, I've had... Uh, Oncologist, the most recent one I saw, because I still get just a yearly checkup just to get the, you know. Um, so and good. she basically implied that nowadays I wouldn't get the same treatment. Not Ooh. not only the chemo regimen I wouldn't get, but if they even did radiation, it would be a lot less. Mm-hmm. She was also careful to say they did what they were supposed to do at the time. In 2006, 2007, that was protocol. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the job was to make sure you didn't die of cancer. And you yeah. didn't die of cancer, so it's hard to complain. Right. But I think at that point, it was part of protocol, and I think it's just sort of, they just want to absolutely make sure they got every last mm-hmm. cell. Because I remember asking my uh, radiation oncologist, when I finished treatment, I said, you know, what's the prognosis? And he goes, well, it's 100% or zero. Like, either we killed every single last cancer cell in your body, and it will never come back, or we didn't, and it will come back. And it's, I mean, in a sense, it's as simple as that. And he goes, I know what you're asking. He's like, you know, how long are you going to live? Whatever. And he's like, I give you a 65% chance to make it to 100. I was like, that's pretty good. That is is pretty good chance. But so per the radiation, it's like, (laughs) I think they just want to really make sure they got everything. And apparently it did because it's been almost 11 years. Crazy. And when that radiation finished, that last day, you know, were you, were you in a, were you feeling relieved? Did you feel like this is it or was it kind of like, okay, this, this feels good right now. Let's cross our fingers and then just kind of go back to normal life. Like wh- when did you get back to normal Tom? Mm. Two things here. And this, these are both really common <laughs> things with young adult cancer survivors. One, finding your new normal is really hard because yeah. here you are. You're still a young adult. You still want a profession, a career. You want, you know, uh, love, all of those things. And you don't know how to go back to normal life because your life isn't normal anymore. Mm-hmm. And then two, this is really common. The end of treatment is one of the scariest times in the whole process. Because when you're going through treatment, from the time you're diagnosed and all the way through treatment, you, all you do is see doctors. If you go to the ER, boy, and again, maybe it's different in Canada. In the U.S., if you go to the ER with a broken arm, you might sit there for seven hours because yeah. it's based on mm-hmm. who's the most sick. If you go to the ER and you say, I have cancer and a fever, you don't even take a seat. You go instantly into triage. Mm-hmm. So you are just so, hyper cared for for seven months. And then they go, see you in three months. And you're like, what, what do you're I do? Like, Wait, like, what? There's nothing else. Right. We, we, yeah. We're it's only like, going to know like, with time. It's like getting out of prison. You're just like, oh, wow. So those those, first, those yeah. increments of three months are really scary because you're like, is it gone? Is it growing back? Right. Or like, so you're, one, you're worried if it's going to come back, and then two, you're just trying to get back <laughs> with your life. What to do? Yeah, so it's an exciting time, and of course you're relieved to be done with treatment, but you just you get they, they call it scanxiety is when you're coming up on that three or four month or six month when you're going to go in for a CT or an X ray, and you start, <clears throat> you know, if you think. Oh, I got a little tickle in my throat, or you know, I had a, a headache last night. Yeah. 
everything is making you think Ooh. that it's back. <clears throat> it's, it's, um, I find that interesting too, because I just kind of went through both sides of that. Um, a couple, a couple of weeks ago, we found out that our friend Brandon had cancer again for the fourth time. He was on his, I think his one or three month scan after. Yeah. It, it was one uh, month. Yeah, yeah. After, after he finished his last treatment. Um, and a week later, my mom or a week before that, my mom was coming on her, uh, three month scan and she was in the clear. So like there in my life personally is like uh, a loved one of both of them. I'm mm-hmm. like kind of experiencing both of that. But I know that both of them leading up to that were also like, holy fuck, like what's what's the outcome going to be here? Yeah. And, and there's it, nothing else you can do at that point. Right. You just, you just have to wait. There's no more medicine to take. Yeah. You just, yeah. I, I also imagine like as a as a, a young person, too, is like like kind of anxious to get back into their career or, or like find something to fill their time, it's kind of like, well, you know, what's the point until I know the result of that? Because it would suck to like go back to work and then end up, you know, finding out that you're going to have to go back yeah. to the treatment right away. But like, you got to live your life. You absolutely. Know? Like, absolutely. Yeah. But like, yeah. you're still kind of like, there's that looming sensation of like, or looming feeling of like, what, mm-hmm. if, what do I, mm-hmm. you know, is this the right thing to be doing? Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is why what if is... Detrimental. Oh yeah, absolutely. like it's not the way to live your life. It's and and you and and it's so it's it's the it's very easy to slip into that. It's very mm. easy to fall into the what ifs. Which is why when Brian said, "What if our bags aren't at the on the carousel?" <laughs> I was like, "Dude, I'm not even gonna go there. I'm not even gonna go there." <laughs> yeah, yeah, true yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I, 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 <clears throat> good. I wanted to. Uh, I, I want. To go into some of the work that you've been doing over the last ten years, all this, all these successive jobs with in the, in the charity space, uh, I'm not 100 percent sure exactly what the scope of work that United Way does, but I know that Movember is Movember and Live Strong are very are very cancer centric, and Movember is very, is kind of all over the map. But when I knew them, I knew them as a cancer centric uh, conversation. Um, what did your experience inform? where you went like what was your career path before that did cancer send you off in another direction or were you already on that road it took me in a completely different direction so when i was in new york i was doing technical writing it was e-learning courses so i would write these e-learning courses really boring stuff and i wanted to get into publishing I i thought i'd end up like an editor and work in a publishing house in new york and then life turns upside down like I said, I started volunteering with Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. That led to me raising money and doing a triathlon. And then a gal I met through Leukemia and Lymphoma Society worked at Livestrong. And I said, hey, are there any openings? She said, actually, there's a position. I think you'd be great at that. So it's through volunteering, through this cancer experience, that I ended up at Livestrong, which was great, right? Because they were all about empowering cancer survivors, yeah. whether or not that's the right phrase, mm-hmm, the right term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then from there, Movember was, uh, we were aligned with Movember at the time. Part of the money Movember raised in the U.S. would actually go to Livestrong. Oh, okay. So oh. I started growing a mo in 2009, and I got to go at, got to know Adam Groney, the CEO, and all these guys uh, for several years till a position to open there. So then I took a job in, in Movember mm-hmm. uh, in L.A. That led, actually, after that, I ended up at, um, do you know uh, First Descents? They're yeah. kind of like Project yeah. Koru. They, so they're very similar. Uh, yeah, First Descent. I know that. Mm-hmm. First Descents, they started off, I think, mostly doing whitewater kayaking. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like Camp Koru, yeah. except instead of surf and, and ski and snowboard, they were doing whitewater kayaking. But now First Descents, I mean, fuck, they do... Mountaineering, they do whitewater kayaking, they surfing, do surfing, they do, yeah, they do rock climbing. Oh yeah, whole thing. Um, 
And they're fantastic. They're, yeah. they're really, really amazing. So I'd done two programs with them and then a position opened up. So I mo- we moved to Denver to take that job and ultimately it didn't work out the way I wanted. Um, and then we, my wife and I traveled for some of the last year and then we came back here. Ooh. It's actually for the first time really in my nonprofit career, I'm not doing something around cancer, which is fine, but it's clearly that cancer experience was my whole professional career it is basically you. tied yeah. to that experience. Cool. Well, this leads me into the the a set of questions that we like to ask most of our guests that come on the show. It's a two part. The first one is: What would you say your cancer has um, your experience with cancer has taken away from you? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, in a physical capacity and sorry if this is TMI, my fertility. So I, I'm not able to have children. I was able to bank sperm, so still got those puppies on ice. And, but it'll <laughs> clearly take a lot more effort to do that. <laughs> I'm probably not good at answering this, but cancer, I'm paraphrasing another woman who said, cancer isn't a gift because I wouldn't give it to you, but a lot of good can come of it. And, <laughs> and I can honestly say a lot of good has come out of that experience. And I'm not saying I want it over again. I wouldn't ask anyone to go through it. But my career, the people I know, my wife, I mean, indirectly, because I met her, she worked at Livestrong. All of these things, my, my health at this point in my life were all a result of cancer. So it's not, you know what I mean? It's not like cancer did these things, but that scare, that brush with mortality mm-hmm. gives you this, um, this sort of wisdom or reflection that you don't otherwise have at that age. As you, as you get older, I think people start to think about these things. So I, I don't. That's probably a bad answer. Well, no, it's great, and you and you also just led yourself right into answering the second question, which was, "What did it give you?" And <laughs> it's a fucking play. It's yeah. it's it, you know it it has this massive effect on it, this domino effect, and clearly it's given you quite a bit. I, I really appreciate that the the way that you said that, though, in the sense that you wouldn't you wouldn't wish it on anybody or give it to anybody because I think that oftentimes when we, when we, uh, ask this question on the podcast and people answer it, they, they do have a really positive outlook now because of their situation and the challenges they've gone through. Um, but I think it is important to say that, you know, like Jared, would you wish that Taylor and I had CF? (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) Wow. Be, we'd be kind of a pretty cool gang. We wouldn't be able to hang out. No, <laughs> we because actually we wouldn't be able, be able to hang, hang out. out. You're right. So That's absolutely right. not, right? I'm but, uh, but I think that it's. I think that that is a really <laughs> beautiful way to put that yeah. all into perspective. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Tom, I want to say thank you so much for for just taking taking a, a leap and jumping in on this podcast with us, kind of last minute. This was. This was a real a real pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. This yeah. is great. Thanks, man. Cool. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week, as we always are, with another fantastic episode. And in the meantime, uh, while you're at it, head on over to the Apple Podcasts um, app or on your laptop there and hit subscribe and give us a rating and review us, yeah. especially if you're an American listener. Because here's the thing. Uh, we're down here in the States. And the Apple Podcast store uh, in the U.S. is separate from the one in Canada. If you go to Apple Podcasts in Canada, uh, we're kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't, I say that uh, I'm not joking. It's it's kind of fucking crazy. Um, so many of you, thank you so much, have gone over there and and have given us a rating and have let us know what what the podcast means to you. So if you're listening to us in the states, um, it would mean the world to us to to just take three minutes of your day to uh, let us know what you think. Let the, let the U S people know what you think. Um, Cause the reason why we ask that 
is that it just helps us uh, stay on the, the visible on the the iTunes charts there. So mm-hmm. um, it makes a big difference for for podcasts. And if you got any other podcasts that you really enjoy, go do it for them too. Yeah. Um, and if you want to support what we're up to, uh, there's other ways you can do that. You can take three more minutes of your day and go over to patreon.com slash sickboy. And uh, Patreon is a huge way. It's our crowdfunding. Uh, it's our crowdfunding game that we do. And uh, it's, you know, a reason that we're able to, you know, when South by Southwest says, hey, you can be a part of this festival. It's how you guys have sent us here. It's how we buy our flights to get here and mm-hmm. how we talk to Tom and how we talk to people when we go to Toronto and everything. So uh, it's a huge help. And thank you to everybody who has supported us in the past. And thank you to everybody who will support us in the future. You can go over to patreon.com slash sickboy. And while we're speaking about money, I just want to give a big shout out to Donovan Moneyball Morgan. For, Ooh, uh, for his, Moneyball Morgan. I like it. For his amazing sound design Cha-ching. on this episode. Uh, we wouldn't be able to, you know, keep keep this podcast sounding so great if it wasn't for his help. Uh, and also a big thank you to Take Part for the theme music take part in this bandcamp.com if you want to check out more of their music that is it for this week i'm brian i'm taylor i'm jeremy and i'm tom and this is sick boy For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.